This talk by Joan Sutherland is the fifth of nine in the series Vimalakirti, The Dream of Awakening and the Room Where the Broken Heart Mends. It was given at Saragordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico on May 19, 2011. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. We're going to continue tonight with uh, the sutra that Vimala Kirti spoke. And uh, I wanted to um, pick up something from last time um, and say a little bit more and let Vimala Kirti speak a little bit more about what he might have meant. I was um, going over the part of the sutra in which Manjushri asks Vimala Kirti what great compassion is and he replies that whatever you do that is good is completely shared with all beings and one of the things I I was suggesting was that there's an emphasis here on what we do whatever you do that is good over what we feel which of course isn't to say that feelings don't matter but to say that our actions, what we do, how we are helpful, how we um, put that helpfulness at the center of things is, is uh, relatively more important than the feeling state of ours that goes along with it. And that seemed to, to be somewhat surprising perhaps because we probably tend to think of compassion as something that is so essentially about feeling in some way. So um, I want to double down tonight and, uh, and, and go even a little bit further about how I see Vimala Kirti here. In this dialogue with Manjushri, who is the embodiment of insight, you've got a real contrast. And, and we know that so much of the sutra is about the, the raising of apparent dualities and then the reconciliation of them in, into non-duality. And that Vimala Kirti himself quite explicitly embodies the, the, the ability to hold and reconcile apparent dualities. Even his um, name, which the story of Vimala Kirti and an incident that happens later in the sutra that maybe we'll get to before the end of the year um, Mm -hmm. is taken up as a koan and so there's some koan commentary about it and his name is translated by the the writers who wrote about the koans as pure name and that was seen as itself a reconciliation of duality in that pure was thought to refer to um, to the vastness, to emptiness, to what doesn't change, doesn't move, is already complete and perfect. And then name refers to the particulars of the phenomenal world. You know, that um, this has a name and that has that name and things are known by their names. And so you've got the, the unity of pure and the multiplicity of name brought together in um, in Vimala Kirti. So if Manjushri represents this kind of very bright, clear, fast insight, that sort of flash of 
understanding, then Vimalakirti must represent some other um, pole, you know, some other kind of, some other um, opposite of that. And I think he really does represent compassion and, and the human heart. So that's where I'm going to double down because I'm going to say, even though he's just said this isn't really so much about feelings as it is about actions, what he is proposing, I believe, is um, a process for healing the human heart. And you just tell me what you think in about 15 minutes about, about that. So you've got Manjushri as that kind of clear-eyed, bright uh, insight that moves at the speed of, a, of, of electricity in the brain, moves at the speed of neurons firing. It's really, you know, it's fast. And you've got Vimalakirti representing that red bloody muscle of the human heart, which moves at a very different pace, much slower. So if Vimalakirti is kind of spiky, you know, if the graph is very spiky for him, sorry, if Manjushri is very spiky, the graph for Vimalakirti is more like sine waves, much slower, rounder waves. Um, it can sometimes happen when we're, when we're really serious about our, our meditation practice and we begin to have certain kinds of experiences that that insight will do what it does, which is run out ahead because it's moving so much faster. And compassion, the heart hasn't caught up with it yet. And that's actually a painful place because you, it does have this kind of spiky feeling. It's that you can, you can see everything so clearly, <clears throat> but you, you don't at the moment have the ability to, f- to feel any kind of warmth or tenderness for it. Um, and that's, that's actually quite painful. So Manjushri and Vimalakirti have to come together in, in each of us. They have to find a way that, the, that they're moving in some kind of sync, even if it's at different speeds, that there's some relationship and that they're working together. And um, although Manjushri is often referred to as the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, I don't actually, that's not exactly my understanding. I do think he's more the embodiment of insight and that it needs compassion. You need insight and compassion together to have genuine wisdom. So wisdom is that third thing that's made from the reconciliation of the apparent duality of insight and compassion. So we can even we can hear it clearly in um, in one of Manjushri's questions at the beginning when he's inquiring about Vimalakirti's health, and his last question is, "How can your illness be extinguished?" You know, <laughs> let's get rid of it. Just stop it. Um, and and there's that you know there's that that quick, clear, instant quality that sometimes we experience. Sometimes things just change. Sometimes it was one thing one minute and it's something else the next minute and it's never going to go back. That's, that's a real thing. Um, so, 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 okay, but it's half or it's one, it's one way something can happen. And Vimala Kirti is saying no extinguishing. That's, that's not what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about a process of healing the human heart that takes time and attention and care. And all of his answers to Manjushri's questions come from that place, come from his articulation of that process 
of healing the heart. So one of the ways that, that we've often talked about it that might or might not be helpful is Manjushri represents enlightenment and um, Vimalakirti represents endarkenment and both of those things are really important. We want, we want that bright clarity and we want the, the depth of feeling and of the heart that endarkenment brings to us. So for if, if Vimalakirti is embodying endarkenment here, then it makes perfect sense that he would be sick because that's what endarkenment does. It takes us into the common, uh, I was going to say human, but the common experience in the world of um, the sentient of um, where it gets difficult. And, and, and where it gets difficult is also where it gets deep and wide and connected if we let it. It connects us to other people. We share that in common. If Manjushri's sword is always dividing things up, you know, discriminating and seeing them clearly, Vimala Kirti's endarkenment, his beating heart, is connecting things, bringing things together. Um, so, as I mentioned, it might seem strange to think about saying, look, compassion is really about what we do more than it is about what we feel, and, and saying that, that that is a process of healing the heart. But here's what I think he's saying. Here's what I think he's doing. If we go back a little bit to something earlier he was talking about, he talked about the... the um, rising of bodhicitta, the rising of our desire to awaken, to, to um, in a growing way, have more and more awakening in our lives so that we can be helpful. And it, you have to have the second part of the sentence or it's not really bodhicitta. So Vimalakirti, I think, is talking about what we put at the center of the labyrinth. And he's saying, put bodhicitta at the center of the labyrinth. Put that desire, longing, passion for, intention to, um, to awaken in order to be helpful. Put that at the center of the labyrinth and then start walking. And it is a process. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a walk and you're going to hit dead ends and make mistakes and all of that. And one of the things you'll find, Vimalakirti says, and we'll... we'll be talking about this a little bit more in just a moment. One of the things Vimalakirti says is it's going to be a lot easier to make that journey around the labyrinth if there are some things you put down, if there's some baggage you jettison as you go. And he's going to give us some very specific advice about what we might want to consider um, jettisoning on our way into, into the labyrinth. So last week, um, you know, one of the questions that came up was, doesn't your intention matter? If, if you do something, if you're helping someone and you're angry, doesn't that flavor the experience both for that person and for you? And of course it does. But I don't think that anger and intention are the same thing. If, um, if our intention is always that bodhicitta at the center to awaken in order to be helpful if that's always the intention anger becomes um, possibly a a co-rider you know possibly someone who's hitching a ride on the event but not not the driver of the car 
and that's really important. So, of course, intention is um, is tremendously important. What we're talking about is shifting our sense of what the intention is. The intention is bodhicitta. Sometimes anger comes along with that. Sometimes indifference comes along with that. Sometimes, a, a, you know, a, a deep empathy for someone or some situation comes along with that, and that's that's all okay. Okay, <clears throat> so. Um, now Vimalakirti gives some advice to the bodhisattvas, which is to say to you. And this, this bit, I thought, was really interesting to me and um, on, on this question of, of not privileging feelings. He said something you have to look out for is that when you're doing this, when you're doing this practice of the bodhisattva, you might generate a sentimental view of great compassion, but this should be forsaken. Why? If you have a sentimental view of compassion, you generate weariness and aversion toward the world of birth and death, toward this world. That's kind of intriguing. If you have a sentimental view of compassion, by which I take him to mean something like pity, you know, if, if, if your feeling is, oh, how you know, poor you, then it's a, it's a very short leap from poor you to bad world, you know, bad, bad, bad world. And he's saying you can't do that. You, ca- you cannot do that. Remember back a little bit, um, you know, in the eons ago when we were talking about an earlier part of the sutra, um, and it just completely went out of my head. What was he saying eons ago? It was so long ago. I don't. <laughs> I don't remember anymore. Um, ah, yes. Um, his his profound allegiance to life. I am sick because the whole world is sick. I'm in. I'm here. I am not separating myself out. This is this is another expression of that absolute allegiance to life. You cannot feel pity if that means you're going to say bad, bad, bad world. You're not allowed to do that. You have to care to put yourself out, to make effort, to be concerned without making the world bad. Okay? So that's what I think he's talking about when he says it doesn't matter so much how you feel. It matters what you do. Um, And again, the reminder that the world to which we have allegiance has difficulty in it as well as great beauty. Uh, and, And we are remaining true to that But if it is a world of impermanence, and impermanence is the cause of a lot of pain and suffering and difficulty, impermanence also means something else, which is that we can do something about things because things are always changing. They're not immutable. They are, by their nature, mutable, flexible, changeable. Maybe over years, maybe over generations, maybe over you know geological ages, but still, <clears throat> by their nature, capable of change. So if we accept that that one of the consequences of impermanence is stuff hurts, we also have to accept that another consequence of impermanence is we can change things. We can do things. Um, 
so in a sense he's saying that when he says you know whatever whatever you can do that's good you immediately share he's saying our job is to bring the grace of the possibility of change into the world we're confronted with impermanence we're confronted with difficulty and our job is bring in the grace of that which is that things can change not a bad job really you know if we take it up not a bad job okay so then we get into some more um, some more advice and which has again to do with this process of healing the heart and one of the things that you'll notice about about um, his um, five-part answer is that it's it's basically framed in the negative it's telling you what you shouldn't do don't don't do this and he doesn't tell you what you ought to do instead and I don't think that's by accident and I don't think it's because it's a negative view at all this is what I've come to understand from the koan tradition which which takes Vimalakirti as one of its founding ancestors although he didn't know it um, it's that what we have to clear away the space we have to clear in order to realize our bodhicitta looks a lot the same across people you know we kind of there are some well-known human problems and that we each might have our own baroque variation on it but you know fundamentally the list of things that get in the way is pretty well known and and Vimalakirti is going to going to give one of these lists but once we have done that clearing away or begun that process of putting the baggage down as we walk through the labyrinth because that's what this is that's what that's what we're talking about now um, once we've begun to put to put the baggage down and walk a little more freely and a little more lightly through the labyrinth then we have to discover what we do instead what gets made possible by freeing up the space by renouncing we'll get to renunciation in a second by renouncing these things that get in the way and this tradition will never tell you what that is you have to find that for yourself it'll tell you what to put down but it won't tell you what to pick up instead that's your exploration and again what a glorious exploration we get to figure out what do I pick up instead what do I do instead so um, no recipes no helpful advice because from the perspective of this tradition there couldn't be what I see to pick up isn't what's going to be right for you to pick up and that's true for all of us because whatever each of us does that is good whatever skills each of us has whatever arts whatever qualities of character that each of us has that's what we do and we have to find that for ourselves okay so the first um, thing to put down Manjushri asks Vimalakirti how should bodhisattvas comfort bodhisattvas who are ill Vimalakirti says one 
Remind them that the body is impermanent, but don't suggest that therefore you should have aversion for the body. Okay? Remind yourself, remind yourself that the that, that physical life, the mortal life, the body is impermanent. But that doesn't mean that therefore you should have aversion for it. Okay? So then the implied question is, what should we feel about the body? And one of the um, one of the many ways that that someone took a run at that question is um, a, a koan of Dungshan's when he was asked, among the three bodies of the Buddha, what body doesn't? This is really hard to translate. What does what body doesn't fall into categories? What body doesn't sort of break into particulars? And Dungshan said, I am always intimate with it. What is that intimacy? What does it mean to be not aversive to the body, but intimate with the body in whatever condition or state it's in? Okay. Um, the second way that bodhisattvas should com- comfort bodhisattvas who are ill is remind them that the body suffers but don't suggest excuse me, that therefore you should strive for nirvana. Kind of another way of saying the same thing. Remind them that yes, the body suffers, but, the, but the, the consequence of that is not that we should be trying to get out, that we should be trying to transcend the body. We should be trying to um, you know, get over the body. The way to deal with suffering isn't to look for the exit. Okay, third way we should comfort bodhisattvas who are ill. Remind them that the body is without self, but suggest that you should guide sentient beings anyway. So I take that to mean even though um, here we are and, and, and I'm sick and you're sick and I'm trying to be helpful to you and you don't have a self and I don't have a self, so what's the bloody point anyway of doing it? You know, we've got no giver, no given to, and no gift, right? That's, <laughs> that's the implication of selflessness. Um, but don't not help anyway. It doesn't matter, okay? The fourth is remind them that the body is serene in its emptiness, but don't teach that it is ultimately extinguished. This one, um, as I understand it, and this is, this is all that he says, there, there isn't a lot of explication, but as I understand this, remind them that the body is serene in its emptiness, but don't teach that it is ultimately extinguished. What's, what that, that's doing is it's uncoupling the vast aspect of the body that already exists. You already have the aspect of the body that is serene in its emptiness. Um, you don't have to extinguish it. You don't have to, again, transcend it. You already have that. And so the job is not to say bad body must transcend. The job is to experience that already serene aspect of the body that's there even in pain, even in difficulty. 
And then this one was great. And again, this is more um, contrarian advice from Vimla Kirti, okay? Explain that you should regret your former transgressions, but do not consign them to the past. Use your own illness to comfort the illness of others. Okay. So what he's saying is, do not let bygones be bygones as far as yourself is concerned. Don't do that sort of like, get over it and I'm good now and let's move forward. Closure, I think is the horrible word. <laughs> you know, don't consign, your, um, you, don't consign your former transgressions to the past. Use your own wounds. Use your own difficulties. Use the mistakes you've made, you know, to comfort the illness of others. If you hold a living recognition of your own mortality, of your own mistakes, of the, own, of the, of the ways in which you've you know, kind of really messed up and are capable of really messing up, it so softens our attitude towards others and, um, and brings out our natural ability to understand and to forgive. Okay, can you, can you begin to see how maybe there's possibly a process here for healing the heart? What he's saying is if you do all of these things which are good for other people, it's also going to heal your heart. It's also going to be a way for you to find um, peace already, already peace in yourself, allegiance to the world, and a way to... Um, even even accept your own woundedness and your own um, idiosyncrasies and that they can be helpful if you allow them to soften you and to bring understanding and forgiveness. Okay, so the first question that Manjushri asked is what is, what is compassion? And um, so far we've been looking at that. The next question Manjushri asks is, what is renunciation? Um, in, in most Asian languages in which Buddhism grew, renunciation has a, slight, it has a different feeling than it does in English. When we talk about renunciation in English, we kind of emphasize the part about what you're giving up. You renounce something, you renounce some kind of material thing, or you renounce an activity or a habit or something like that. And there's usually a, a reason you do that. Uh, you think it'll make your life better, or you're demonstrating your sincerity, or you're doing some kind of penance, or you, know, you think it's immoral to go on doing what you're doing, all that kind of thing. But the emphasis is on the putting down. In, in um, the, the Asian countries that gave birth to Buddhism, the emphasis in renunciation is more on what is made possible by clearing the space. So it's on what can happen because you have put something down. So this is exactly what we've been talking about with the koan tradition, that the koan tradition will tell you, make some suggestions to you about what you put down, and then the emphasis is on what gets made possible, what is made possible by that. Um, one of the, the, the clearest summations of, of that kind of uh, 
Ah, what is renunciation? I didn't get past the question. So, so the question is, what is renunciation? And Vimala Kirti answers, the blessings generated are without expectation. So the blessings you generate by being compassionate come without expectation. Um, <clears throat> that was formulated really clearly in the Bhagavad Gita. You have a right to your actions but never to your actions' fruits. Act for action's sake, and do not be attached to inaction. Self-possessed, resolute, act without any thought of results, open to success or failure. And the Taoists expressed a very similar idea um, in the Tao Te Ching, saying, do your work, then step back, the only path to serenity. Um, What I hear for us today in this is that we live in a world of seemingly overwhelming problems. If we need to solve them and soon, we're going to end up in despair because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen soon and it's not going to happen all at once. That seems, you know, pretty clear. So we'll be in despair because we have an expectation that can't possibly be met. So here's, here's saying, what if you act? What if you do, you put bodhicitta at the center but you don't even have the expectation that it's going to take care of everything fast. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think Fimala Kirti is suggesting that if, if you're going to see what's missing in the world, if you're going to, if you're going to see what's um, not possible, You know, I can't possibly do enough. We can't possibly do enough. We can't do it quickly enough. If you're going to focus on what's missing or not possible, you have to see what's there too. It's only fair. You have to see that there are blessings. You know, Vimalakirti uses the word blessings. They're not going to solve everything really quickly, but they're real and they're there. And if you only look at what isn't getting done, if you only look at what's missing or what we're failing at and not seeing the small blessings of what is getting done, of what we're succeeding at, then you're being partial in a way that's really harmful to your own heart. So here again is the way through Vimalakirti's vision of compassion, we help heal our heart by accepting that there are blessings that occur. So, um, no one would, I think, um, argue that it's a really good movement to give up self-centered, in denial, ruled by greed, hatred, and ignorance ways of being in the world. Um, And maybe as we do that, it's even natural and necessary that we would kind of throw ourselves into, uh, so deeply into being pierced by the troubles of the world that, um, that we despair for a while. 
that might be the necessary antidote to the to the previous problem. Um, but Vimalakirti is saying you can't stop there, you can't stay there, because it's partial, and because if we have bodhicitta at the center. Our intention, our motivating force is to be helpful, and it's very difficult to be helpful from a position of despair. So that being helpful, that's our intention. And how we feel if we feel despairing is um, destructive to that intention, actually, and destructive to our own hearts. So he's saying, we should see what we can do as a blessing, not only for others, but for our own hearts as well. Let our compassion heal us as well as others. Okay, I'm going over again. Is it okay if I go a little bit longer? Okay, I'd like to sort of finish this section. Finish Manjushri's questions. So the third question that Manjushri asks after compassion and renunciation is, what is joy? And Vimalakirti answers, if there is benefit, you rejoice without regret. So you get the theme. This is what he's saying. So, although we are unattached to the outcome, (laughs) if there is benefit, rejoice without regret. So he's saying, you have, in the same way that we can't be partial about embracing the 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 difficulties of impermanence and not the possibilities of impermanence. He's saying, you you can't be partial about the exchange that's going on. You make the intention um, to be helpful. You act helpfully without um, expectation. So you share whatever you do with, uh, that's good with the world. The difficulties of the world come in, they flow in. You act, um, you give whatever you have that's good. That's what flows out. And if it works, <laughs> if there's some benefit, if some, there's some small moment of goodness that comes out of that, you let that flow in. You have to allow the exchange to continue. You have to rejoice without regret, which means to rejoice completely in what has happened without accounting and remembering all the things that haven't happened. You can't let, you can't block that. You can't keep that out. Um, Regret is about what's been missed, what hasn't been done, what isn't there, what's absent, um, how much else there is to do. But he's saying, feel a joy that is not in any way touched by it's not enough. If we can do this, then we fulfill something else that Vimalakirti said earlier. He said, if living beings are released from illness, I am no longer ill. This is a little instance of that. If there is benefit, 
if there is blessing, if for just a moment in a very little tiny local corner of, of the world, there is something good that happens, in that moment living beings are released from illness and I will be released as well. I join them there too. If I join them in sorrow and suffering, I join them in release and in healing. Okay, I'll stop there. Thank you. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.